Hello, wise and wicked friends. Today we are looking into the life and crimes of Ilsa Koch, the wife of a Nazi commander and known to be one of the most evil women ever to have lived. She would order the deaths of prisoners at will, torment and torture others, and would keep various mementos of her victims as trinkets. This is how she gained her nickname, the Bitch of Buchenwald. Welcome to The Wise and the Wicked. My name is KJ. I have started this podcast as a means to educate myself and whoever feels like listening to me about different historical facts and figures which you may or may not have heard of. This means we look at all things crime, history, the problematic ones and the problem solvers. This week's story is a doozy. This woman is just horrendous. I stumbled across her recently and the more I read about her, the more horrified I became. It just kept going. She's honestly been living rent-free in my head. I hope you are ready. Before we jump in, a little bit of a warning. This story has got it all. Graphic descriptions, sexual abuse, murder, torture, human experiments, like you name it, we have it in this story. It is rough, so listener discretion is advised. So let's get cracking. Elsa Koch was born in Dresden in Germany in September of 1906. She was born into, by all accounts, a pretty normal family. There really wasn't anything of note about her childhood. When she was in school, her teachers would say she was polite and happy. As a child, she learned how to cook, clean and run a household. When Elsa was 15, she left school and began to work in a cigarette factory. After this, she went and studied to be a bookkeeper, which was one of the few educational opportunities for women at this time. After her studies, Ilse began working as a bookkeeping clerk. And at this time, Germany was still very much financially recovering from the First World War. In the 1930s, Ilse and some of her friends decided to join the Nazi party. This was pretty early on, and at this time, Hitler's ideology seemed pretty attractive as it appeared to offer the German people solutions to the issues that they were now faced with after losing the First World War. It was Ilse's early involvement in the party that led her to meet a man called Karl Otto Koch, and Karl would go on to become her husband. So, born in 1897 in Darmstadt, Germany, Karl was a decorated war veteran after the First World War and when he returned to Germany after this he failed at various civilian jobs and then in 1931 he decided to join the SS, the paramilitary corps. Karl first started working at various desk jobs for the SS and after a while he started working in the concentration camps themselves. He quickly gained a reputation for ruthlessness and cruelty and this is just what they wanted so he was quickly moved up the ranks. He was in charge of a few small camps before he was given his first command of a large new camp called Schassenhausen. 
In May of 1937, Carl and Ilse got married and the summer of the same year, Carl was given a new post and he was to become the commander of a camp that was currently being built. This was called Buchenwald. So Buchenwald was the largest of the concentration camps, um, but it was a little bit different. There wasn't any gas chambers in this one and it was going to be run a little bit differently. The main purpose of this camp was that the prisoners would work as slave labourers so they could be useful to members of the Third Reich. Prisoners at Buchenwald would be kept alive for years, which was a very long time compared to the other camps where the average life expectancy for, say, somewhere like Auschwitz was about two to four months. Ilsa had all sorts of demands during the construction of this camp. For one, she ordered the construction of a mansion for herself and Carl. This was built for the couple on the grounds of the camp. She also demanded the construction of an indoor sports arena, which looked like something out of the Olympics. This was so she could practice her favourite hobby, horse riding. This said to have cost around 200,000 Reichsmarks at the time, and in today's money, that's estimated around 1 million euro. It was clear that Ilsa was not like any of the other Nazi camp leaders' wives. It has been suggested that many of the wives would just keep themselves at home with their children and remove themselves from the day-to-day running of the camps. These wives really didn't want to get involved with what their husbands were doing. Ilsa, on the other hand, completely opposite, and she jumped at any chance to be involved at the running of the concentration camps. It is said she would relish in the fact that people were suffering, starving, and dying all around her. As a result of this, Ilsa gained the reputation for being one of the most evil women alive. So by this time in their marriage, Carl and Ilsa had had three children. Unfortunately, one of these children died in infancy. But despite this, the family lived an incredibly lavish lifestyle at Buchenwald, most of which was paid for by stolen gold jewellery and various other objects they could get their hands on from some of the prisoners. Reports say that they would steal the gold teeth out of the mouths of dead prisoners. Ilsa didn't want to spend any of her time doing any sort of household chores. She felt this was completely beneath her. Instead, she decided that she would get the prisoners to work for her as servants, or more accurately, slaves, in her house. But even with the construction of her big fancy sports arena, her in-house help and her growing family, Ilsa found herself pretty bored and she needed to find something to satisfy herself. So Ilsa decided to take up a new hobby. What is this hobby, you may ask? This was to torment the male prisoners as much as possible. It was commonly known around the camp that if the prisoners were to so much as glance at the commander's wife, they would be taken by one of the guards and shot immediately. So, Ilsa would parade around in tight clothing in order to try and gain attention from the prisoners. Keep in mind here, this was the 1930s. Tight clothing was not commonplace. When her husband Carl was away, Ilsa would demand that a guard would line up some of the prisoners and order them all to strip naked. Then she would undress herself down to her undies and lay out in front of them. If anyone was to even so much as glance in her direction, they would be killed. Upon Ilsa's demand, the prisoners that were sent to work in her house were all teenage boys. Now, there's a lot of rumour and speculation about what happened to these boys while they were working in the house, 
none of it is good. Safe to say, Ilsa Cock is definitely known as a sexual sadist. She got pleasure out of inflicting massive amounts of pain on others. Unfortunately, like most of these camps during the Second World War, human experiments were commonplace. Something that we talked about in our first episode, which is about Unit 731, Buchenwald was no exception. Human experiments were carried out in all of the Nazi concentration camps and they all really had the same goal. Some were to find antidotes to illnesses and diseases, but mostly they were trying to prove that Aryan was the master race and that all other races were subpar in comparison, essentially trying to give rationale to the genocide they were conducting. As unthinkable as all of that is, the experiments that took place at Buchenwald were similar. The head doctor here would carry out experiments which involved giving prisoners diseases and trying to find cures. They also experimented on gay men and women, injecting them with various concoctions to try to make them straight. Ilsa knew of these experiments and she decided that the torture and random killings of prisoners really wasn't cutting it for her anymore and she was getting a little bit bored again. So she decided she was going to ask one of the doctors if she could watch them conduct the experiments and of course they agreed. After all, she was a very powerful woman. After watching these experiments take place, Ilsa decided she wanted in. She wanted to conduct her own experiment and went directly to the doctor to pitch her idea. She explained that she noticed that many of the prisoners in the camp had various tattoos. Some were even covered in them. She wanted to know if there was any correlation between tattoos and criminal behaviour. Now I have my doubts, but this is what she is said to have told the doctor, and he thought this was very interesting and took her up on her suggestion. Ilsa wanted prisoners with tattoos to be killed and then for their bodies to be dissected. Most importantly for Ilsa, though, she wanted to keep, brace yourself, she wanted to keep their skin. Like I can't with this woman. For her new experiment, Ilsa decided she was going to ride her horse around the camp and look at different prisoners. She would then go up to various different groups, demand the prisoners stop what they were doing and strip off so she could examine their bodies. Then when she found a prisoner that she thought had pretty interesting tattoos, she would select them for her experiment, meaning she would order them to be killed so she could keep their skin. Then she would organize for these skin pieces to be made into various items that she could decorate her house with. Some examples include lampshades, knife sheets and book covers. She also thought these would make pretty interesting Christmas gifts, so she commanded that a group of prisoners create huge quantities of these human skin trinkets and during the holiday season she sent them out as gifts to the SS officers in charge of the other camps. Rumour has it that she even used body parts around the house too, such as using thumbs as light switches. A German inmate gave the following testimony during the Nuremberg trials. He said, quote, all of the prisoners with tattooing on them were reported to the dispensary. After the prisoners had been examined, the ones with the best and most artistic specimens were killed by injections. The corpses were then turned over to the pathological department where the desired pieces of tattooed skin were detached from the bodies and treated further, end quote. 
Now, all of this madness wasn't just coming from Ilsa, however. Carl was equally infamous and known for his cruelty towards prisoners and other SS officers. Just to give you a bit of an example, Carl once went to the doctor complaining of ill health and he was told by the doctor at the time that he had contracted syphilis. Carl was absolutely outraged by this, so he killed the doctor and the orderly who gave him the news. In 1943, both Carl and Ilse Koch were arrested and brought to court for misusing Buchenwald funds to support their lavish lifestyle. They were also arrested for their over-the-top methods of torture, and these arrests were made because of their particular methods were not suitable for the Nazi ideology. Like, just think about that. The Nazis think you've taken it too far. You really need to evaluate yourself. The trial of Carl Otto Koch took place in 1945, and the official charges made against him were war crimes, crimes against humanity, embezzlement, abuse, mistreatment, and murder of prisoners in the camp. He was found guilty of all charges and was sentenced to death by hanging. In April 1945, a few months before Ilse's trial was due to begin, Carl was executed. The hanging of Carl Otto Koch was carried out in the Bugenwald camp, this was still under Nazi control at the time. Countless people died at the hands of Carl Koch and it's simply impossible to actually put a figure on that. For Ilsa, however, the judge at the time decided that no matter how manipulative she was, Carl was the commander of the camp and therefore the responsibility and any wrongdoing laid with him. Therefore, Ilsa was acquitted and sent back to Germany to live her life. She showed little to no remorse for her crimes and went on to live her life with her children. That same year, American troops liberated Buchenwald and the horrors of what happened in these places were truly revealed. The troops found 80,000 prisoners crammed into a space that could comfortably house 8,000. They found hundreds of dead prisoners, as well as body parts, organs, heads in jars, various household items made out of human skin. The stories of the infamous Elsa Cock were coming out in droves. Prisoners began to give testimony of the atrocities that were made against them, and pressure began to build to bring Elsa to court again. So she was arrested and put in jail to await her trial. Elsa's trial took place then in 1947. Early in the trial, she took the stand and announced that she was eight months pregnant. And this came as a shock for many reasons, but mainly because she had been in prison and she had no contact with anyone except for American interrogators and the odd prisoner. Despite her pregnancy, the trial continued. She was charged with war crimes, crimes against humanity, and these charges were related to her alleged cruelty, abuse and inhumane treatment of inmates at Buchenwald's concentration camp, as well as the allegations that she made objects from human skin. During the trial, Ilsa maintained that the household items were not made out of human skin, that they were in fact goat skin. However, many of the items were reported to have tattoos on them, and there was a big gang of prisoners who testified that it was their entire job while at Buchenwald to make these household items upon Ilsa's request. On the 19th of August, 1947, Ilsa Koch was found guilty of her charges against her and was sentenced to life in prison. During her time in prison, Ilsa gave birth to a baby boy she named Ew. Soon after his birth, he was put directly into the foster care system. The prosecution had presented testimonies from former Buchenwald prisoners who recounted the brutal and sadistic treatment they endured under her and her husband's command. 
Two years after her conviction, appeals were made and her sentence was reduced to four years. This reduction was due to the fact that, quote, there was no convincing evidence that she had selected inmates for experimentation in order to secure tattooed skins or that she possessed any articles made from human skin, end quote. Even though the objects did in fact exist, there was no evidence that Ilsa herself had ordered them to be made, and although there were various testimonies about this, they were brought down to hearsay and not chargeable. Despite the reduction in the sentence, the general who granted it said, quote, I have no sympathy for Ilsa Koch. She is a woman of ill repute and depraved character. She had done many things, irreprehensible, punishable and undoubtable under German law. We were not trying her for those things. We were trying her as a war criminal on specific charges, end quote. Ilsa served the remainder of her sentence and was then released, much to the shock of the public. And soon after her release, she was put on trial for a third and final time. During this trial, which took place in 1950, Ilsa collapsed many times and she actually had to be removed from the court. This time, there were over 200 witnesses testifying against her. Some of the witnesses testified seeing her selecting prisoners specifically based on their tattoos, and others testified that they saw the manufacturing of the human skin lampshades. In January of 1951, Ilsa Koch was convicted of, quote, charges of incitement to murder, incitement to attempt murder, and incitement to the crime of committing grievous bodily harm. Ilsa was sentenced to life imprisonment and the permanent forfeiture of any civil rights. She made many appeals to the sentence and all were rejected. One doctor by the name of Dr. Morgan testified at all of Ilsa's trials and after her final sentencing, he said, quote, she was no innocent angel. She was a hussy who rode horseback in sexy underwear in front of the prisoners and noted down for further punishment. She lay around the garden in front of prisoners, simply primitive. But she had nothing to do with the lampshade business, and she did not deserve such a draconic punishment. She was a victim of horror stories. End quote. Keep in mind this guy was testifying for her defence. Ilsa had four children in her lifetime, three of which wanted absolutely nothing to do with her or the family name. Totally fair enough. But her youngest son, Ew, the one that she gave birth to while she was in prison, was a bit of a different story. Ew grew up in the foster care system and had no real sense of family. When he became an adult, he set about finding and meeting his birth mother. He had learned about her life and crimes, and after plucking up a lot of courage, he decided to visit her in prison. Ilsa rarely had any visitors, mostly because she was an actual horrible human being. So when her son Ew decided to visit her, she was delighted to finally meet her youngest child. Ilsa would go on to tell Ew that everything that was said about her was a complete lie. He knew that she wasn't completely innocent, but he was desperate for a motherly connection, so he decided to believe her. He would visit her once a month. It was through these visits that Ilsa realised there was one more person in her life that she could manipulate into getting what she wanted, and she decided that her son was going to help her clear her name. When her appeals were repeatedly dismissed, she gave up all hope. And on the 1st of September 1967, just three weeks before her 61st birthday, Ilsa felt that she was out of options. She went back to her cell, she tied her bedsheets together, and she hung herself in her cell. 
1971, still desperate to clear him his mother's name, Ew went directly to the New York Times. He felt that people should hear Elsa's side of the story. And when he approached the newspaper, he claimed that he wanted to tell the story based on the materials that he had collected since his mother's passing. Ew explained that the chances of getting the West German Supreme Court to review the case and posthumously rehabilitate his mother were practically hopeless. Instead, he was hoping for a sort of rehabilitation through the press, adding, quote, I think since Americans sentenced her to life and then reduced her sentence to four years, American readers should know her side of the story, end quote. Despite his best efforts, no one was really buying the fact that her side of the story was even worth telling. And when asked about visiting his mother, Ew said, quote, Ew said, quote, she always denied her guilt and she said she was a victim of libels, lies and perjury. I didn't discuss it with her further because it was painful for her. I wanted my mother to have a hope of getting out. And secondly, after two decades in prison, I just thought she could have other thoughts. I really can't imagine what it was like during the war. I am not even convinced she was guiltless but I feel that she just slithered into the concentration camp world like so many others without being able to do anything about it, end quote. These are clearly the musings of a man desperate to believe that his mother wasn't a complete monster. Poor Ew really was Elsa Cox's final victim. So that is the truly shocking tale of Elsa Cox, the bitch of Buchenwald. Honestly, one of the worst women ever. I would love to hear your thoughts on today's story. I am really loving the feedback that I've been getting from everybody so far. So feel free to DM me, comment on Instagram, send me an email, whatever you crazy kids are doing these days. I'll see you in two weeks. Bye. (laughs) 